The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I grew up in a home where thank you notes were a massive deal. That before you could almost finish opening the present and revel in the joy of whatever you had received, uh, mom was making sure uh, that we were going to write a thank you note. And that it had to be a good thank you note. It couldn't just be, hey, thanks for the stuff. That it had to have something meaningful in it, why it was significant, and appreciate that. And so for years, I was good at writing thank you notes. Then I got married, and all of those thank you notes got too overwhelming. And I learned how to get out of it. I wrote a really bad one. And Lisa goes, you're not really planning on sending that, are you? I was like, well, yeah. She goes, you're done. Yes! And she wrote all of them. But what I've found over time is that for many of us, myself included, we forget to say thank you. That a heart of thankfulness is somewhat lost in a culture and in a day where we, where we believe that we're entitled to what we have. And if we don't get what we think we deserve, that thankfulness is the first thing that is gone. Instead of, as the psalmist says here, we should have a heart filled with thankfulness, a repetitive thankfulness, a sense of knowing, as it were, this enduring heart of thankfulness to God. And that's uh, that's the working title, as it were, that I've been working on with this sermon this week. An enduring heart of thankfulness. That You see, Psalm 136 is called within Jewish tradition the Hallel Psalm. It is the praise psalm. It doesn't use the normal formula of Psalm 135, which would be Hallelujah, all praise be to Yah, Jah, Yahweh, or Jehovah. But it, it comes uh, differently, Hodu la Yahweh, that it's give thanks to the Lord. Uh, that it is a picture of still praise, but coming from God's people by the way of thanks. And the psalm begins with a threefold repetition uh, of that statement give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. To the God, or give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. And give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And the psalmist ends with the same refrain. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. What we recognize in that is the psalmist is writing and putting at the very beginning and at the very end uh, saying thankfulness it needs to be a constant and a regular part, a component of the praise and of the worship of God's people, both corporately and individually. That's why we had a, a litany of thanksgiving, uh, of including that within the public worship of God. And that in our lives, we should have uh, this thankfulness uh, repetitively. 26 times in this psalm, he says, give thanks to the Lord. I mean, uh, he says it four times of give thanks, but then gives all 26 reasons 
uh, for thankfulness. For his steadfast love endures forever. Repeated 26 times. Thanksgiving must be a regular part of our lives. That it's this thankfully confessing to God who he is. Uh, It's the acknowledge uh, gratefully is what Derek Kidner, the commentator, speaks of. That we acknowledge gratefully who God is and what he has done both generally and specifically within our lives. But why all the repetition? Why the repetition? First service, there was a couple of people who raised their hands, but I'll try it again here. When we did the litany of praise, how many of you part of the way through were like, okay, I got it? Anybody? A couple of you, honest people out there. Good. Because we're like, yeah, 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 I got it. We're thankful for our gifts, and we're thankful for men and women, and we're thankful for creation. I got it. Can we move on? The psalmist is saying you can't move on. He repeats it over and over and over again. He thinks it's important for God's people to repeat to the Lord the love that we have for the Lord. That it's a benefit to us to sing uh, the glorious truths of God's love and care for all of creation and for ourselves. And it is totally appropriate for us to have endless thanksgiving for God's endless faithfulness to us. And yet we don't do it very often. We don't rehearse it. We don't build it into uh, our uh, disciplines of daily life. When we talked last week of abiding uh, in the Lord, of finding Him to be our stronghold, of finding Him, part of that abiding uh, is coming and being thankful of expressing thankfulness uh, to the Lord. And we repeat this thankfulness. We practice it. We rehearse it. We do it over and over and over again, I think, for a couple of reasons. And the first is we don't really believe it. We don't really believe that God has done much, that his love endures forever, that he is great and he is awesome and the God of gods and that he is good and he is the Lord of lords and and that he has created all things and he has done all of these things and that we are the beneficiaries of it, the passive beneficiaries, as it were, of God's incredible goodness and faithfulness to us. At some level, we don't believe it. We want to believe it, but day by day, we, we listen to the lies of an enemy who says, God's not faithful. God's not good. You deserve more than what you have. God owes you something more. Doesn't he know who you are? Doesn't he know what you've done? Doesn't he recognize this? And the evil one, that voice of the imposter that, John, that Christ talks about in John 10, that we should know the voice of the shepherd so well that we can identify the voice of the imposter, because the voice of the imposter being the voice of the evil one, his mission statement is simply this. He is to kill, steal, and destroy And he is the father of lies. And so when he speaks in his imposter's voice, he's speaking lies and he's saying to you, God's not trustworthy. There's no reason to give him thanks. You deserve this. He owes you that. And so we have to come back and we have to remind our hearts. And part of the way that we remind our hearts is we say, I give thanks to the Lord for his mercies are new every morning. I give thanks to the Lord for the grace that I have received in my life, unmerited on anything that I have done. 
I give thanks to the Lord for Christ. I give thanks to the Lord for the beauty of creation. I give thanks. And we're telling our hearts and reminding our hearts to believe this, to be thankful. And the other reason, I think, is that we just forget sometimes. We just forget to write that thank you note. We get busy and we get going on other things. And to have it as a normal and regular part of our diet within our Christian walk is important. And so we need to repeat it. We need to remind ourselves that God is worthy of our thanks and our praise. We need to sing it to one another and remind one another that God is worthy and that he is that which we should be thankful for over and over again until we begin, as it were, just to grasp a little bit of that steadfast, eternal, death-conquering love that God has for us in Christ. We keep on keeping on in thankfulness. And so, what are we thankful for? What is it about God that we're so thankful about? Why would the psalmist write it over and over and over again? It's almost as if he would probably have liked to have repeated that, give thanks to the Lord at every verse. So verse 4 would have been, give thanks to the Lord, to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. To him who by understanding made the heavens. You can see it repeated at every single one of the verses. But why? Well, we're going to see uh, several things that we should be thankful for and to give and express thanks for in our relationship with the Lord. The first uh, is for who God is himself. Just simply for who he is. For the greatness of God, for who he is. Then the greatness of God, that we're thankful for the greatness of God that we see in creation. And then the greatness of God that we find in salvation. And the greatness of God, lastly, that we see in his sustaining love of all things. For the greatness of God for who he is. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of, hope, Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. The tone is being set here. And what the psalmist begins with is he says this, I give thanks to the Lord, and here's the primary reason I give thanks to the Lord. He's good. He is good. The very essence of his nature is that of goodness. That we are filled with a world that is filled with evil, that sees bad happening all around And we need to be reminded and to look up and say, God, I understand this about you, that I may not understand fully everything else about you, but I know this, you are good. And for that, I am thankful. Because we could have been created by an evil creator. One who uses the universe at his own pleasure to to find that he takes pleasure in the destruction of individuals. But we have a God who says, I find no no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. I take great delight in my beloved. I, I rejoice in my creation at his very heart. He is good. That he is the Lord and he is the God of gods. It echoes back from Deuteronomy 10. Verse 17, the Lord your God is God. He is, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. That he is good and he's mighty 
And he is awesome. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who wrote this about God's goodness. He is good beyond all others. Indeed, he alone is good. In the highest sense, he is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, the rewarder of good. For this, he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. Do you want to learn what it means to be a good person? Study the character and nature of your creator, God. Do you understand what it means to engage with people with goodness and kindness and love? Study who God is, the source of all that is good, the good of all goods. We live in a culture that says you should be good. Little Johnny, be good. We we live and they go to school and the teacher says, be good. Oh, wouldn't it be great for a child in an elementary setting to say, why? What's the standard of good? Oh, well, um... Man? Oh, the sliding scale. I thought you were talking about the ultimate truth that is true with a capital T above all and the good which is good above all. Because if he is good and I'm supposed to be good like him, then maybe we should study him in school. Wouldn't it be great for a fourth grader to say that? But maybe you can't study it in school, but parents, you can study it in your home. You can train up your children in the way that they would go. You can teach them and love them in a way that points them to this good God. That when we say you need to be good, not just because you're supposed to, but because God is good. And that we treat others with goodness and deference and love because God is good. And that we look around and we recognize that everything that he's made is good because he is good. And so the first thing that we give thanks for is God himself. God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're a good God and the Lord of lords and the God of all gods. Second thing that we give thanks to the Lord for is the greatness of our God uh, in the creation of all things. Verses 4 through 9. He kicks in and he begins uh, there in verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth uh, above the waters, to him who made the great lights, to sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. He's saying, God, I give thanks to you for you created all things, that you are my creator. Sounds a little bit like our creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. What's the next statement? Maker of heaven and earth. Why is it so important to have that at the beginning? Because all of a sudden we realize ourselves. We realize everything around us. We realize it has an origin and a beginning within the heart and mind and creative work of a good God. And therefore, if God is good and he created all things, then all that he created is good. Isn't that what he said repetitively in Genesis? And after the first day, God said what? It was good. And after the second day, it was good. And the third day, you get it? Repetition is good for the soul. He said, it's good all that I've made. And so it's important for us to have a biblical worldview concerning creation. Because in it, it allows us to have a proper perspective of ourselves and a proper perspective of the world around us. It allows us to recognize what should be the object of our affections and our worship. If we miss on this point, culture would draw us away to not acknowledging God as the creator, but we would worship the creation instead. 
And you see that throughout history. You see that in other cultures around the world. But even in our dignified Western advanced culture, we worship the Creator all the time. We don't have little idols up on our shelves, but we worship money. We worship prestige. We worship looks. We worship the things that this world has. We, cre- we worship the mere created things and we make them to be our gods and we serve them and we say, I'll do this if you bless me. And God is saying, you need to understand that I created all things and blessing only comes from me. And so we learn that we're to worship God alone, but we also learn of how we're to treat creation. We're not to worship it, but how are we uh, to treat it? God is good, and everything that he has made is good. Therefore, we should be thankful for it. Don't discount the physical in your pursuit of the spiritual. Yes, everything is going uh, to pass away, but it is going to be recreated. And so there is a sense that we have a value to the things uh, in this world. There's a value to the created order. And one of the values of the created order is that we should delight in it. Delight is sort of thanks move to the next tier. Not just give thanks to the Lord for all that He's created, but delight in His creation. To go out uh, into this beautiful place in which we live and to go and to watch the sun rise over the ocean. And instead of going, eh, delight in it. To go, what an incredible God. That he created this for me to enjoy at this moment. To watch the moon rising. To go out and to see the dolphins playing. To, to see and to hold a newborn child. And to be absolutely amazed. And to delight in the creative power of our God. Who says, I've given you this child. Not as an apologetic. Not as an argument for my existence. Yes, creation is an argument for the existence of God. But it is not only that. He made all of creation for us to enjoy, right? Some of us who live in the low country, I've learned there's two kinds of people. Those who enjoy the beach and those who pride themselves in never going to the beach. Well, I live down here. You live at the beach. I hate the beach. Why do you live down here? Well, I don't like going outside. I don't like doing... Well, here's something for the Christian. Go delight in the creation that God's given us. I was talking to somebody who was saying that their children are terrified uh, by, by thunder. And I look online and see all the pictures of many people with their dogs and their thunder suits on uh, and all of that. And you know where I love to be when it thunders and lightnings? Outside. To stand in the midst uh, of that powerful display and delight that that's my God showing off. That that's my God. Who said, Bill, let me just remind you of how powerful I am. And if I control the lightning stores uh, within heaven and the wind and the rain, I've got you. And I've got your boys and I've got your wife and I've got the church. I've got it. Come delight in who I am. Some of you need to delight a little bit today. You're going to go and you're going to eat a great lunch here in a little bit. Some of you, you're going to some of you are going to cook a great lunch and you're going to go. This is good. But make sure that you understand all things created, be it that out in nature and that which you're about to enjoy, those are portals through which to see a good and powerful and loving God. 
that we look through those things to see him. I don't have time to develop it, but another reason, uh, another thing that we learn about creation because God is good and made it is that we should be the best stewards of it in the world. We shouldn't give that off to the environmentalist folks. That's a Christian thing. To care for the creation that our good God gave to us to delight and to enjoy. And we should steward it well in the midst of that. It should inform all of those things. So we celebrate and we give thanks to God for who he is. For the the fact that he's the God of creation. And then specifically we give thanks to the greatness of God in our salvation. Verses 10 through 24. Did you recognize what the psalmist was walking through? He was walking through a historical event. Isn't it interesting of all the possible historical events that the psalmist could have given thanks to the Lord for. He picked the redemption of Israel from Egypt and the movement into the promised land. Why? Because God said that's the picture of salvation. You were in captivity under evil. And I sent my firstborn to die for you. And I freed you from bondage to sin and to death. And I have now moved you into a promised land. And one day, ultimately, uh, the promised land. And he pointed us back in this to give thanks and praise to God for our story of salvation. And for his overall hand in our salvation. Because what we see in this story and is on our own, salvation never originates with us. It always originates within the goodness and the mercy and the divine sovereign care of our God. Who said, I'm going to bestow my love upon you because I want to bestow my love upon you. Not because you merit it. Not because you do anything by it. That is such an important key. Some of you come from backgrounds that you come and you're like, ah, it's Presbyterian. You're going to get into all that predestination and sovereignty of God and salvation stuff. And I chose God. Here's the thing. The incredible doctrines of grace that are put forth so clearly within Scripture, they bring us to a place when fully understood and taken and held onto of great things. That I look and I go, William Alexander McCutcheon III, born to Bill and Maggie McCutcheon on February 26, 1968, in Columbia, South Carolina. I didn't choose that. But God, rich in mercy before the foundations of time, had me born to believing parents who brought me up in a home where I heard the beauty of the gospel. And even in my rejection as I'm driving home from Charlotte in November of 1990, and I'm down the road, God, in his rich mercy, arrested my heart and reminded me that if I'm ashamed of him and his sinful and and his that uh, words in my in this sinful and adulterous generation, the Son of Man would be ashamed of me when he came in the glory of his Father, and my life was forever changed. Why? Because God. And all I can do is express thankfulness to it. Have you ever considered why you weren't born in the third century outer Tibet? You would never have heard the gospel. But you were born where you were born, to whom you were born, and are here today by the very grace of God to hear this message. It is by grace through faith that you are saved and that not of yourself. It is a work of God that the boasting could come to no man but only to him. And he is inviting you into that relationship today. That's our salvation story. Can you rehearse it all the way back? 
from Genesis through and now to you? And do you parents know your salvation story so well that you share it with your children? Grandparents, you should be sharing your story of faith to the generations who are around you. Church, share it with one another of the great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And we give thanks for it. We could come every single week and we could sit here and I go, we got nothing for you. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to give thanks to the Lord for the salvation that He has wrought on our behalf through Christ Jesus, His Son, our Savior. And we would stay all day. Or we should. Sadly, it would be the most poorly attended gathering ever. What do you mean? I'm not getting anything from this? No, we're just going to express thanks to God for His goodness. Kind of busy. Do you know the story of salvation? Are you experts in it? And does it move your heart to gratitude? Verse 25 says, another reason that we give thanks to the Lord is His sustaining grace of creation. Basically what that is, is His common grace. God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and the sins rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season he provides you with plenty of good and fills your hearts with joy. Matthew and Acts in those two quotes of saying he blesses the world so that they would see him and turn to him in that. And the final thing that we'll see is this. His love endures forever. That's the conclusion. His love endures forever. And the word that's used there uh, for love is a special word. It's a word that you need to know and understand and understand how it's translated in the English. Uh, it's his steadfast love, his covenant faithful love. It's the Hebrew word chesed, H-E-S-E-D in the transliteration, uh, that it is his covenant faithfulness to us that endures how long? You ever considered how long forever is? How would you answer that? How long is forever? What do you find yourself doing? Using forever to explain forever. Well, it's forever. Yeah, but when does it end? It doesn't end. It's forever. Yeah, but you're using forever to describe forever. Yeah, that's all I got. It's an eternal love. It's a free gift that really has no beginning and no end. And that it is his covenant faithfulness to us, even in the midst of our covenant unfaithfulness to him. How many of you in your life have been unfaithful to God at some level? That should be a unanimous one, by the way. Here's the deal. How many times has he been unfaithful to you? Never. Never. He's always faithful and true. These parents this morning, their children were baptized with a sign and a seal saying God is faithful to his promises. I hate it in some ways for Amon and for Benjamin and love it at the same time. Because I say it to my boys, God marked you, and he's pursuing you. And we're praying that God would act on his promises towards you. So, buddy, you're coming up against the God of the universe, and I know he's going to win. That's our hope of the faithfulness of God's covenant love to us, that it endures forever through the grave, into all eternity. His love endures forever. Ah, oh, what a beautiful truth that is. John Milton, the wonderful English poet, 
at the age of 15 when he was a student at Cambridge. All you 15-year-olds, get with it. (laughs) He wrote this great hymn, Let Us With a Gladsome Mind, based on Psalm 136. Let us with a gladsome mind praise the Lord, for he is kind. For his mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. Let us sound his name abroad, for of God's he is the God. For his mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. He with all-consuming might filled the new-made world with light. For his mercies I endure, ever faithful, ever sure. And he goes on for 26 or 24 verses in that psalm. God is good. As John Piper wrote, he is superlative, superlatively good. His love endures forever. Let's pray.